0: Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 115. The next morning, very early in the morning, likely just before sunrise, we're going to see Yeshua brought before Pilate for his second interrogation. That's right. The next morning, that would be his second interrogation. According to John eighteen twenty eight and 1915. Once again, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 115 and part two, an analysis of Yeshua's Passion Week chronology from Passover to his crucifixion to his third day resurrection. With this study, I hope to offer some plausible answers to the somewhat problematic timing and chronology of Yeshua's Passion Week, at least as it's called. Now, on my previous Real Israel Talk Radio podcast from last week, I presented a Part 1 analysis and overview of Yeshua's Passion Week chronology, dealing with His Passover, to His crucifixion, to His third-day resurrection. And with last week's episode, we learned that a comparison reading through all of the documented events produces a narrative that just does not flow real well. The text seems to appear rather disjointed, and in some cases, you can't even figure out what's going on. With today's program, episode number 115, and part two in this series— I am going to ask the question, is there a more correct or perhaps a better approach to the events timeline in the gospel records that might actually help us to solve most, if not all, of the concerns that 18 centuries of scholars have been grappling with, with no definitive answers? And my answer is absolutely yes. As I mentioned on the last program, in recent history, beginning in France in the early 1950s, Dr. Annie Joubert, Professor of Judaism and the Origins of Christianity at the University of Paris, which is also called the Sorbonne, she came on the scene Mademoiselle Joubert had studied at École Biblique, which is a world-renowned French school of biblical and archaeological research that also has its study center in Jerusalem. Professor Joubert also wrote several books and contributed to many scholarly journals of the time. Now, way back then in the 1950s, following the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran, In November of 1947, Professor Joubert wrote a book that proved itself to be of wide-reaching interest among biblical scholars from all over the world. Her published book in the 1950s was titled The Date of the Last Supper, The Biblical Calendar, and Christian Theology. Her work brought down a number of old, outdated theories— and sparked a lot of new discussions and debates from a lot of biblical researchers of her day. To this time, her book is still considered a scholarly resource for many present-day research papers on the chronology of Yeshua's final Passover week. In gleaning through some of the responses to the work of Mademoiselle Joubert, it became clear to me that she had indeed stirred up the academic world. Her research into the date of the Last Supper and the chronology of Yeshua's final Passover week came with a lot of new and fresh approaches to solving most of the problems which have bothered biblical exegetes for about 18 centuries. In reading through one response to her work, it indicated that if the opinions presented should ever become generally accepted, then what Catholics and Protestants know as the traditional chronology of Yeshua's last Passover week would definitely have to be radically transformed. Largely, Professor Annie Joubert brought solid solutions to the apparent contradictions and some discrepancies that really could never be solved. Now, today, this book is rather difficult to obtain. However, there still are a handful of them available for borrowing from a few of the world's Catholic universities and study centers. And, in fact, you might even go to one of your local public libraries and ask them for the book to see if they can obtain it on a loan. Given this, I want to now focus our attention on Yeshua's Passion Week chronology from Passover to His crucifixion and to His third day resurrection, and doing it through the research lens of Professor Dr. Annie Jobert. And after I present her thoughts I will then weigh in with my viewpoints. First, what I'm going to give you is a general reconstruction of the Passover week chronology of events as they were originally presented way back then in the 1950s. In her research, she said that Saturday evening before Passover— is representative of the statement from John chapter 12, where it speaks about six days before the Passover. And then she goes on to say, Saturday evening was Yeshua's anointing at Bethany. Then Sunday is referenced by the term the next day in John chapter 12, verse 12. And in her research, she says that was the triumphal entry. And Yeshua then returned to Bethany that very evening. She goes on to say that Monday is represented by the statement, the following day, which is referenced in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 19. And on that Monday, she says, this is when Yeshua rebuked that fig tree. He also went on to weep over Jerusalem, and on that Monday, he did a cleansing of the temple. Then, Dr. Gilbert says, that Tuesday is referenced according to Mark chapter 11, verse 20, and that Tuesday was the preparation day for the Passover. According to Mark 14, verse 12, and Luke 22 verse 8. She goes on to say, that Tuesday night is when Yeshua sat down with his disciples for a legal Passover according to the law of Moses, referenced in Mark chapter 14 and verse 17. Also, that Tuesday night is the night that Yehuda or Judas, betrayed Yeshua, in Mark fourteen forty three, then while it is still Tuesday, but yet overnight on Tuesday, this is when Yeshua is brought into an inquisition before the high priest Annas, according to John eighteen nineteen through twenty three. And she says this is also when Yeshua was transferred over to Caiaphas, in the book of John chapter eighteen verse twenty four. Furthermore, it is this same overnight on Tuesday when Peter's denials take place according to John 18:25 and Matthew chapter 26. Then on Wednesday after sunrise, the Judean officials of the high court, also called the Sanhedrin or the Jerusalem council, that they began their trials of Yeshua bringing in witnesses. This is all according to Mark, chapter 14, verses 55 and following. She then said that Thursday, early morning, that is before sunrise, Yeshua is brought before his first interview with Roman prefect Pontius Pilate. This according to Matthew, chapter 27, verse 2. And then he is sent on to Herod, who is in Jerusalem at the time. And this is according to Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. Dr. Gilbert goes on to say that Thursday around mid-morning, the Judean Sanhedrin High Court does a condemnation and judgment on Yeshua, according to Mark chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 27. Following this, She then takes us to Friday morning and says that this is when Yeshua was brought before governor prefect Pontius Pilate, and in those morning hours, he was whipped and mocked. And then Pilate declared to the Judeans, Behold your king, according to John chapter 18, verses 28 and following. Then continuing on, Mademoiselle Gilbert says Friday morning is when Yeshua was strung up on that crucifixion tree between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., which, of course, she calls Good Friday, like everyone else does in Catholic and Protestant circles. This according to John chapter 19, verses 30 and 31. Then, at about three o'clock in the afternoon on that Friday, that begins the count of three days and three nights, according to Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Finally, the professor tells us that it was a Sunday morning resurrection that Yeshua had, and that the stone was already rolled away, according to John chapter 20, verse 1, when the women arrived at the tomb. Then, at that time, they discovered that the tomb was, in fact, empty, according to Matthew 28, 5-6. Then, in the gospel record, it states that Mary, the women, the disciples in the upper room, all of them had visitations from Yeshua, including a couple of men walking along the road to Emmaus. And as you follow this chronology, as it was given by Dr. Annie Gilbert, you will notice that there are a few major differences that she came up with back in the 1950s, primarily that Yeshua was brought before Governor Pontius Pilate for two different interviews or two different interrogations, one on a Thursday morning very early, and his second interview— on Friday morning, just before his crucifixion. And also, among her differences with the standard ideas that were circulating in her day, she says that Yeshua was transferred over to Herod on Thursday, following his first interrogation with Pontius Pilate. Another difference between Dr. Gilbert's views... And those of the Catholic and Protestant Church in the nineteen fifties is that Yeshua's last supper or Passover was on a Tuesday night and not on a Thursday night, as it is quite common to believe in Catholic and Protestant circles even to this very day. Mademoiselle mm-hmm. Gilbert was a novel thinker in these matters, and her ideas did in fact overturn a lot of older ideas that had been circulating in tradition down through the centuries. Now, with this aforementioned chronology that I've presented, I would now please ask you to permit me to weigh in with my viewpoints and what I would consider my carefully researched ideas based on the following sources the Dead Sea Scrolls book or scroll of jubilees from the Qumran, also referred to as 4Q216-4Q224. through 4Q 224. Also, I consulted the first book of Enoch, beginning with chapter 72. Of course, I also read through the entire work of Professor Annie Joubert, The Date of the Last Supper, published by the Catholic Society of St. Paul in New York. I also read through the entire work of The Mystery of the Last Supper, written by Colin J. Humphreys and published by Cambridge University Press. Also, there's the work of Gilbertian Theory by Stefan Sonner, published by Brill Publishing in the Netherlands. Then I also consulted the chronology of the Passover week by James Walter, published in the Journal of Biblical Literature back in 1958. And then, of course, I could not be without the Second Temple Commonwealth New Covenant Gospel narratives, precisely as they are written in Greek and translated into English through the New King James Version of the Bible. Of course, we know the writers of those narratives to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And finally, I might add, I didn't just try to rely on my own wisdom or anyone else's wisdom. I did a lot of praying and seeking of the truth of the matter from Yehovah's Ruach HaKodesh, that is, the Spirit of the Holy One. Without Jehovah's Spirit— and without prayerful and direct guidance, and I believe His inspiration, I don't think I would have anything to share with you, nor would I have anything of any substance to offer you. So all of these came to be my resources for what I am going to be sharing with you regarding Yeshua's Passion Week chronology from Passover to the crucifixion to His third day resurrection. So for now, I will take us into 27 points or events that I gleaned out of the gospel narratives. And of those 27 events, I'll begin with the fourth day of the week, or what we call Wednesday, immediately preceding Yeshua's final Passover week. Now, after going through all of my resources— and doing so prayerfully with my New Covenant narratives in hand, I'm going to now give you my views as to how I think all of those events played out in that final week of Yeshua. Of course, please understand, these are my opinions. That means that what I'm going to share with you doesn't make me right. It just means this is how I am seeing things and how I believe they played out In that time frame. So let's get started, beginning with the fourth day of the week, or what we call the Wednesday, immediately preceding Yeshua's final Passion Week or Passover Week, leading him to his Passover, his crucifixion, and his third day resurrection. What I'm going to give you now are 27 points or 27 events that I'm going to speak about in a lot more greater detail later in this upcoming podcast series. Again, the first of the 27 events begins on that Wednesday immediately preceding Yeshua's Passover week, and it's referenced in John 12, 1-8, and Matthew 26, 6-13, This is where it says it was six days before the Passover or six days in front of the Passover. Then on that Wednesday evening is when Yeshua was anointed in Bethany, according to John chapter 12, verse 3. Thursday morning is now the next day, according to John chapter 12, verse 12 and this is when i believe the triumphal entry took place the next day meaning thursday morning then yeshua goes back to bethany that evening according to mark 11:11 11, 11. then on friday morning the sixth day of the week that is referenced as the following day and it's on that friday morning that I believe Yeshua rebuked the fig tree, He began weeping over Jerusalem, and He went into the temple and began cleansing the temple, all according to Mark 11, verses 12 through 18. We now go to the Sabbath, Saturday morning, and on that Sabbath morning, the gospel narratives refer to it as, "...in the morning." from Mark 11, verse 20. That is when the disciples noticed that the fig tree had withered because Yeshua had rebuked the fig tree one day prior, meaning on Friday morning. Then on that Sabbath morning, Yeshua spent most of the day teaching in the temple all about the Torah, the Passover, and many other truths of Hebrew Scripture. This is according to Luke 20, verse 1 and following. The next day following the Sabbath would be Sunday, and all day on that Sunday or first day of the week, Yeshua was again in the temple all day teaching about Torah, the Passover, and all the spiritual truths that he wanted the people to know. By late in the afternoon on that first day of the week, Sunday, this is where I have Yeshua going out of the temple, according to Mark thirteen one, and where he continues teaching the Olivet Discourse, as we learn from Matthew chapter twenty four and twenty five. Also in Luke chapter twenty verse one through chapter twenty one verse. 37. Then he returns to Bethany late on that Sunday afternoon. Or as the gospel references indicate, he spent a lot of his time overnight on the Mount of Olives. Now let me talk about event number seven. This is a reference to sometime on the second day of the week, or what we call Monday. I don't know at what time this took place, but it's a statement that Yeshua makes saying after two days is the Passover. And I believe this counting of the days begins with Tuesday and Wednesday of that week. And this is according to Matthew 26, 1 through 2, Luke 22, 1 through 2, and Mark 14, 1 through 2. Event number eight references the second day of the week, or what we call Monday, in the evening hours. At that time, Yeshua was given supper or dinner in Bethany. And this is according to John chapter 12, verse 2. And then that night, he was anointed while he is still in Bethany. This is in Mark fourteen three and Matthew 26, 6. Event number 9. This now brings us to the next day, Tuesday afternoon. In the gospel narratives, we learn that on that Tuesday afternoon, the third day of the week, the disciples ask Yeshua, "Where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover?" This is according to Mark chapter fourteen, twelve through thirteen, Matthew twenty-six seventeen, and Luke twenty-two. Seven through nine. And so then the disciples slaughter a Passover lamb according to the Torah on that Tuesday afternoon, the third day of the week. My event number 10 then takes us to the third day of the week, or what we call Tuesday, after the sun had set. From the gospel narratives, we learn when evening had come, they sat down to eat the Passover. This is according to Luke 22:14 through 15 and Mark 14:17. Then on that third day of the week, Tuesday night, and according to Torah it must be night, meaning the sun was long gone and it was in fact nighttime. We learn from the Gospel of John chapter 13 verse 1, the statement before the feast of the Passover and then the events that took place on that Tuesday night, quite likely before they began eating the Passover meal. That's when I think all of those events are taking place between John 13, 1 and the end of John chapter 17. It is during those nighttime hours, right after the Passover meal, that Yehuda or Judas, goes out from the Passover and begins to betray Yeshua. When I come back for the second half of our study today, I'm going to take you into Yeshua's final Passover week and 27 specific events that I gleaned out of the gospel narratives. I'll be back right after the break. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 115. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Thanks for joining me in this study today as I'm taking a look at Yeshua's final Passion Week chronology, which includes his Passover. His crucifixion and his third day resurrection, and so much more. Now, before the break, I was talking about Tuesday night, quite likely before they began eating the Passover meal. It is during those nighttime hours, right after the Passover meal, that Yehuda or Judas goes out from the Passover and begins to betray Yeshua. This now brings us to my event number 12. This is Tuesday overnight. This is when we see Yeshua's arrest in the garden, according to John chapter 18. It's also when we see him brought over to Annas, the high priest, in John chapter 18, verses 19 through 23. And furthermore... This is when Peter's denials are taking place, according to John 18, 25 through 27, and Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Again, that's going to be on Tuesday under the cover of darkness overnight while it is still yet Tuesday night. Now we come to Wednesday morning, and this will be linked to sunrise. When a new day always began according to the Tzadok 7's calendar. This is when Yeshua is brought before Caiaphas and all of the elders and the scribes and all of the council of the Sanhedrin on that Wednesday morning, according to Matthew 27 1. While it is still in those early morning hours following the sunrise, this is when Yeshua is brought for his. First interrogation with Governor Prefect Pontius Pilate. Again, this is his first interrogation of two interrogations. This would be according to Matthew twenty-seven two and John eighteen twenty-eight. Then, while it is still Wednesday, but it's mid-morning, this is where I have Yeshua being interrogated in front of Herod, according to Luke twenty-three. 6 through 12. Nonetheless, it is still all day on that fourth day of the week, Wednesday, when the Sanhedrin Council hearings are taking place. It's all day long until sunset. This would be according to Mark 14:55 through64. Then after the sun sets on Wednesday night, And mind you, it is still Wednesday night. He is then taken into overnight custody. The reason is because the official legal proceedings of the court cannot operate after sunset. It's a daytime court only, according to the Torah. So they have to do something with Yeshua. So I have him going into overnight custody on that Wednesday night and that would be in the upper city of Jerusalem, probably near or in the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest. I have no scripture references to this. It's pure circumstantial evidence. Based on what happened the next morning, very early in the morning, likely just before sunrise, we're going to see Yeshua brought before Pilate for his second interrogation. That's right. The next morning, that would be his second interrogation with Governor Pontius Pilate, according to John 18.28 and John 19.15. Now, recall, I said that Yeshua was in overnight custody on Wednesday. Again, I don't have any Scripture narrative references for that, but what I do have is this reference from Matthew 27, verse 19 where it says that on Thursday morning, the fifth day of the week, when Pilate was beginning his interrogation of Yeshua for the second time, Pilate's wife came to him saying to have nothing to do with the man because she had a dream. And it uses the word today. Today I had a dream. The reason for that is because the new Roman day always begins at midnight. Therefore, Wednesday overnight, according to the Tzadok 7's calendar, is in fact the new day, Thursday, according to Roman reckoning. So, again, Pilate's wife has this dream, and she comes to him in the early morning hours, and right around sunrise, she approaches her husband and says... Don't have anything to do with that man. I had a dream about it. That's the circumstantial evidence for Yeshua's overnight custody on Wednesday night. Let us now continue with my event number 18. The official Judean court or the council of the Sanhedrin comes to Pilate and delivers their judgment to him, saying... This man needs to be put to death. You see, they already made their judgment the day before, but they brought it to Pilate that next morning when they were screaming out, put him to death, put him to death. This is based on Matthew 27, 1 and Mark 15, 1. Then for my event number 19, still it's Thursday morning, it's after sunrise, Pilate then says to that maddening Judean crowd, Behold your king, in John 19:14, And that's when he offers them the Passover exchange between Yeshua and Barabbas. During that time, Yeshua was mocked, beaten, and scourged. Now let's go to my event number 20. It is Thursday morning on all the calendars. The Roman calendar the Judean calendar, and the Tzadok 7's calendar. The time is the third hour of the morning, or about 9 o'clock. Yeshua is brought out for crucifixion, and He is hung up on the tree, and He stays there on that tree from 9 until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is going to be according to Luke twenty-three fifty-four and John 19, 30 through 31. Still, while it is yet Thursday, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we see from the gospel narrative that Yeshua dies. His body is then taken down from the tree by Yosef of Arimathea, and that's in John nineteen thirty-one. Now let's go to my event number 22. This is Thursday late in the day, but yet still before sunset. Yeshua was buried according to Matthew 27, 60, Mark 15:46, and John 19, 41. It is at that point that we are to begin counting three days and three nights, according to Matthew 12, verse 40. Now let's go to my event number 23, and it will be all day on Friday. This is when the women of Yeshua's community began preparing the burial spices according to John 19.39 and Luke 23.56. At sunset on Friday night, according to the Judean calendar, their Sabbath would begin. Now, my event 24. On Shabbat morning, after sunrise, when the new day would begin, everyone from Yeshua's community rest for the Sabbath, according to the commandment of the Torah. This is in Luke 23, verse 56. Whatever they're doing all day Shabbat, we're not told. Then comes my event number 25, which is late on that Saturday night or that Sabbath night. Based on the evidence that I can see from the narratives, it is around midnight when Yeshua's third day resurrection takes place. The question is which midnight? On the Roman calendar, the midnight would be at what we would call midnight in our own culture, 12 o'clock. But for the Jewish culture of the time, midnight was midnight, meaning the middle of the second watch of the night, anywhere around 10 o'clock to about 2 o'clock, late that night. While it is still Shabbat or Saturday night, Not Saturday morning, but Saturday night or the Sabbath night. And it's still very dark, as we would understand from the Hebrew word shachar, shachar, which really in Hebrew means black or very dark, because it was about shachar, or early morning, as the gospel narrative tells us. That's going to be right around the time of what we would call in our culture first light or daybreak. That's the first early morning reddish streaks of light because it's still very dark. So I would say that this was sometime around 4, 4.30 in the morning. The women come to anoint Yeshua's body with the spices that they had prepared from the day before on Friday. This is according to Mark 16.1 and John 19.40. And then finally, my event number 27. This is about when the sun rises at about 6 o'clock. This is when Yeshua's appearances begin. He first appears to Miriam or Mary. He appears to the women. He then goes to the upper room and shows himself to the disciples. And then sometime on that first day of the week, that Sunday, he appears to these two men walking on the road to Emmaus. Now, I will have details on all of this in upcoming episodes of this podcast series. This is just the general structure and outline of the events that took place during that week. But nonetheless, these are what I would consider my 27 points addressing Yeshua's last week chronology leading from Passover to his crucifixion and then on to his third day resurrection, revealing what I think might otherwise explain the chronological confusions that we often read about in those narratives. Admittedly, however, I cannot, nor will I even dare say that my chronology is precise, or it's flawless, or it's accurate, because it's not. I don't know if it is or it isn't. This is just how I'm seeing things being played out, and I'm comfortable with saying that. Again, all of this is simply based on what I understand now. So for the time being, the itemized list of events that I have presented them to you is information that makes reasonably good sense to me. However, before I step into addressing each of these 27 points of my itemized events list, I want us to understand the epoch of the times and the context to which Yeshua lived and ministered. So, when we come back on the next podcast— I'm going to explain the structure of the two different calendars that were going on at that time. They were right next to each other. Both calendars were within two days of each other in that particular year, which I will also address later on. So we're going to talk about all of these things beginning with next week's podcast in this series on Yeshua's last week Passover chronology. Now, coming up in this series, beginning with next week's episode 116 and part 3, I'm going to be addressing a number of other related issues to this chronology of Yeshua. The traditional Jewish calendar in Yeshua's day was an official calendar of Jerusalem, for lack of a better term. And that calendar was determined based on the testimony of two witnesses who were summoned to appear before the Jewish Religious High Court to give eyewitness testimony of the arrival of the new month. The declaration of each new moon was always announced by the Jewish Council or the Jewish Sunhedrin, also called the Religious High Court of the land, and they would receive testimony of the status of the moon based on the testimony of those two witnesses that they had called to the court. Immediately after hearing their testimony, if their testimony agreed, then the High Court declared a new moon for the whole nation, and the first day, would have been referred to as Rosh Chodesh, that is, the beginning of the months, as it is written in Exodus 12, verses 1 through 2. Now Yeshua and His followers did not participate in that paradigm. They had a different calendar, and we'll be talking about this on the next podcast. Also, I'm going to be dealing with a definition of the Judean periods of day and night. According to Jewish daytime reckoning, 0900 hours, or 9 o'clock, is called the third hour. 1200 hours, or noon, is the sixth hour. 1500 hours, or 3 o'clock, is the ninth hour. And then following an end-of-day sunset at about 1,800 hours on the 24-hour clock, or what was called the 12th hour of the day, all daytime reckoning then shifted to nighttime reckoning, which involved three different watches of the night. That was based on biblical Judaism. But during the Roman occupation of all Judea in the days of Yeshua, they were not operating on a three-watch system during the night. They were doing a four-watch system, according to Roman reckoning. And I'll be talking a little bit more about this on the next podcast. I'll also be addressing the official Judean calendar. That calendar contained two day-part mixtures. One was a mixture of day and night, and the other was a mixture of light and dark. When the orb of the sun would rise to its zenith and pass through the midpoint of the day, and in English we would call this midday or afternoon, this would be understood as a solar noon. And this is when the sun begins descending into the west until it finally disappears below the western horizon in what we would call sunset. But there was a very specific term in biblical Hebrew to define the concept of sunset. We'll get into that on the next podcast. However, this idea of the mixture of two day parts is sometimes written in Hebrew as uva'erev be'erev, from the verb larov, to blend or to mix. And in this case, to blend or to mix two evenings. And this was always a special time of the day, and we'll talk about this on the next podcast because it plays into the understanding of the Passover concept in between the evenings, which is often translated from the Hebrew term ben bayim, meaning the idea of twilight. And on the next podcast, I will also be addressing the idea of daylight hours and nighttime watches, according to the gospel narratives. You see, when reading through the gospel narratives, it is important to pay attention to the reckoning of the day hours and the night watches to determine whether the given interval was either according to Roman or Jewish reckoning. They would talk about it, but they did not necessarily live by that reckoning. And so on the next podcast, I'll deal with this idea of the crowing of the rooster— It might surprise you to note that this actually is a Roman fourth watch of the night. It was a Roman idea, not a Jewish idea in the specific sense of the word. And this Roman fourth watch of the night was from 0300 hours to 0600 hours. This is for those of you that are used to understanding military time. So, 0,300 hours to 0,600 hours from the Roman reckoning system meant the last watch just before sunrise. However, for the Judeans, they too did refer to those early morning hours as the call of the rooster, in Hebrew, kreatagever. And for some of you, it will likely surprise you to know that Jewish oral tradition speaks of that particular phrase, "Kriat hageder, as also referring to the call of the man, and not necessarily the call of the rooster. But there was some discussion about whether it was a man or a rooster, or perhaps both. All of these discussions came up in Talmudic literature several centuries after the fact. So I'll talk a little bit about this on the next podcast. But still, Jewish oral tradition speaks of the time frame Kriyat HaGever*, or the call of the rooster, or the call of the man, as a time just prior to the first rays of morning light marking the end of night. That does not mean the first rays of morning sunlight. No, this is a time frame that is referred to in Hebrew as shachar. It's still very dark, but as you look out on the eastern horizon, there'll be these early morning reddish streaks of light. And we would understand that as first light, or daybreak, or even the concept of dawn. And also, next week, as time permits... I'll be dealing with some features of the official versus the unofficial calendars of the second temple period of Judaism. You see, for the Judeans and the Pharisees in Yeshua's time, a day was always reckoned from sunset to sunset, whereas for the Qumran solar community and their calendar cycle of sevens, A day was always reckoned from sunrise to sunrise. So during the Second Temple Commonwealth period, or what is called the Second Temple period, it was generally accepted that sunset should always signify the end of one day and the beginning of a new day. This is referred to as sunset to sunset reckoning and was based on a Pharisaic interpretation of the Hebrew word echad, which can mean one or first in a sequence depending on context. It is important to know that Yeshua and His disciples and Yeshua's community did not observe the counting of the days in the way the Judeans did from sunset to sunset. Rather, they observed the older and more accurate biblical calendar of sevens based on a revelation given to Enoch, or in Hebrew, Hanoch, and the companion work to that book called the Book of Jubilees. Yeshua and His disciples reckoned days from sunrise to sunrise. And finally next week, we'll take a look at some non-Judean sunrise to sunrise reckoning examples. Because unlike the Judean Pharisees, many groups and communities among the sectarians of ancient Israel including the Qumran and those of the Dead Sea region, as well as many among the Galileans in the north of Israel during the Second Temple period, they all adopted a time reckoning that a brand new day always began with what is referred to in Hebrew as Boker or Sunrise. In the meantime, I want to thank you for joining me today on this podcast. I hope it was helpful for you in your study of the chronology of that Passover week. But I'm not done. i got a lot more to talk about. If you want any information, go to my website at www.cominghome.co.il. Thanks a lot for joining me today. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. And this is Real Israel Talk Radio.